Reading from the Gospel according to Matthew, chapter 24, beginning with verse 36. Jesus is speaking. But about that day and hour no one knows, neither the angels of heaven nor the Son, but only the Father. For as the days of Noah were, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day Noah entered the ark. And they knew nothing until the flood came and swept them all away. So too will be the coming of the Son of Man. Then two will be in the field, one will be taken and one will be left. Two women will be grinding meal together. One will be taken, and one will be left. Keep awake, therefore, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. But understand this, if the owner of the house had, been, had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have let his house be broken into. Therefore you also must be ready. For the Son of Man is coming at an unexpected hour. The Word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. You'll be relieved to know that though the bulletin says sermon, I did have Samantha bring my watch to me this morning. I forgot to bring it, so I am aware of the time. But there are some things that you need to know about this text. There are some things that the church needs to remember about who we are and what is promised to the church. First thing I want to tell you is despite what some modern Christian authors have done with it, you do not want to be the ones taken in this text. Y'all remember the story of Noah? Everybody? Remember reading about that? Did you want to be the people taken in the water in Noah? Anybody? So all of that gobbledygook they put in those left behind books, you can just file that away as nice fiction. Okay? Great story. Enjoyed reading it, but that's not what this text says. In this text, you don't want to be the one taken. You want to be the one that stays awake. You want to be the one aware of the signs. You want to be the one who's looking to the heavens for the coming of the Son of Man. Which raises the question, how shall we wait? Shall we wait in fear as if we are awaiting one who will come and destroy us? What do you think, church? No. That's a good answer. I'm glad y'all said no. I wasn't prepared for a yes. Did the Lord not tell us that He came to bring salvation, not condemnation? Did He not tell us He come to give us life in the midst of death? Were not those His words that those who have Him have life? So does it seem to you, church, that we can trust to wait with joy for the return of Jesus? That's an invitation to say yes again. It seems that way to me as well. But yet all over the airwaves and on your TV and on the The cable channel, religious networks, you can see all kinds of people with flow charts and this kind of chart. And 
I saw one guy one time, he had boards all the way across the stage he was on with everything kind of laid out in a timeline, and he was telling everybody exactly when Jesus was going to come. Now, Jesus said he had no idea that guy. Jesus specifically said no one but the Father knows, right? But yet those people keep propping that stuff up, and I'm not sure what the point is. Is it to scare Christians into loving Jesus? Do any of you love Jesus because you're afraid of him? You love him because he loved you, right? I mean, that's what the scripture even tells us. We love because he first loved us. I mean, honestly, if God didn't love us, if there was no star in the heavens, as I told the kids, none of us would know who Jesus was to begin with because God wouldn't have sent Jesus. God would have let it be okay that we chose rebellion and sin and death and let us flitter off into nothingness. But instead, God chose to act to deliver us from sin and death, to have a Son who would be for us the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Again, as we worship this Advent, look for that on the tree. How shall we wait? There are scoffers out there. They say, well, you know, church, y'all been waiting a little over 1,900 years, hadn't you? Where's he at? I find that to be a credible question, don't you? The early church thought Jesus was coming right back. You can see that reflected in 1 Thessalonians where they've become concerned because their loved ones are starting to die. And Paul writes some letters and said, Look, don't be worried about that. You won't see Christ before they do. They will be raised first. And over in Peter... Peter says, understand this in 2 Peter chapter 3, if you want to read it later. If you've never read that book, that's an outstanding book of the Bible in my opinion. But they're all outstanding, I have to say that. I think they told me that in seminary. It says this, first of all, you must understand this, that in the last days scoffers will come. Listen, there were scoffers in 33 AD. The last days began with the resurrection of Jesus. And there were scoffers then. Scoffers put many of the first apostles to death. Scoffers will always be with us. There will always people be people who will call you superstitious fools. Only you can measure in your heart whether the faith God has give you, given you is real. So during this Advent, I encourage you to wait by testing that faith. Give it a chance to grow. Give that sense in yourself that this Jesus story is true. Give that story a chance to blossom in your life. Make room for it. Don't let the busyness of the next few weeks lull you to sleep about what it is we're doing in this season of Advent. Deal? Deal? I know you're all worried about Christmas presents. Me too. I got one in my truck right now for my wife that I know she's not going to like, so I got to get something else. <laughs> well, I went, you're laughing at me, Don, but I did her my shopping at Cabela's, you know. <laughs> but I'm hoping she's going to like it. But even the pastor can get caught up in that 
and forget that right now is about remembering a Savior who has come and a Savior who is coming again. Do you hear that, church? A Savior, not a vengeful God bent on destruction, but a Savior. The one who died for us is the one who's coming for us. So we can wait in love. And we can wait by making room for the story. And then Peter says, Don't ignore this one fact, dear ones, that with the Lord one day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like one day. The Lord is not slow about His promise, as some think of slowness, but is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but all to come to repentance. Did you hear that all to come to repentance thing? That's what God wants for the entire world. Not universal acceptance just as we are as a lot of people are teaching people today. That's poppycock. God wants to save us from ourselves. To call us to live differently. To live in freedom and love and hope and joy and peace and all of the things that we'll be lighting candles as signs of. To be rescued from our own brokenness. Not to be left in it. And repentance is our response to that promise. It just means to turn from this way to that way within your mind. To have your mind changed about God. He wants all people to come to that, Peter says. God wants all people to come to repentance. And then he says the same words Jesus said, echoing the Lord. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief and the heavens will pass away with a loud noise and the elements will be dissolved with fire and the earth and everything that is done on it will be disclosed. And that's, I guess, where people want people to be afraid, right? But do you think that God is just going to wipe things away and leave nothing? Is, not, is God not a creator? Is that not what we know about our God? So Peter doesn't stop there. So all of the storyboards of fear and all of the little things that are in our little magazines and all that we get at home where people try to terrify us about the second coming are missing the point. Listen to how Peter finishes. But in accordance with his promise, we wait for new heavens and a new earth. Isn't that beautiful? Not only are you going to be transformed when the Son of Man comes, but all of creation will be transformed and renewed. Peter says it will be dissolved and there will be new ones. And in another place it says it will be made new. And Isaiah suggests there will just be something new. But regardless, the promise is that everything that God has created will be healed and made right and set free from sin and death. So when John the Baptist said, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, he was saying that Jesus is going to transform everything in creation. Is that not something to hope for? What do you think? That's a yes or no again, isn't it? Seems like something to be excited about to me. He says that's a place where righteousness is at home. That's exciting, isn't it? If you ask me, that sounds better than presents on Sunday morning. Christmas morning, excuse me. Which is on a Sunday this year. That's why I said that. 
Not intentionally, I made a mistake, but that's why it came out. We wait with hope in loving Christ and serving Christ and doing all of the things that we're called to do to announce the goodness of Jesus and his invitation to people to repent and follow him. That invitation is still in effect in the world. And that's why God gives us the means of grace that we celebrate as Wesleyans. Ways that God equips and strengthens us for the work of doing all of the things that this tree speaks to us and all of these things speak to us. Of reminding the world that a Savior has come and is coming. Reminding the world of what God has done, is doing, and will do. Reminding the world that good news is good news. And that can seem like a daunting task. When John Wesley wrote about the means of grace in the Christian life, he took up the idea of our sanctification and our being transformed into perfection, but that can have broader application to the whole work of the church because the work of the church is to hold up the cross and Christ draws people to himself through that into repentance and new life but we must be sustained for it. So one of the absolute best ways that we can wait for Christ is to continue on in the means of grace. The chief ones, Wesley said, were prayer, searching the Scriptures, meaning digging in them to find God. And the Lord's Supper that strengthens us to do the work of the church. But there were many others, he said. I'm just going to share a short list with you. Works of piety, meaning devotion. Works of mercy. Prayer, searching the scripture, holy communion, baptism, fasting, Christian conferencing, which means getting together and talking about the Lord and how we should live in light of what we know about Christ coming and his return. And then works of mercy, doing good to others, visiting the sick, Visiting the imprisoned, feeding and clothing those in need, earning, saving, and giving all that we can for the purpose of nurturing the work of the church in the world and being the church that does that work. That's how we wait for the second coming of Christ. Not huddled in fear, but with arms outstretched saying, Come, Lord Jesus, as we do the mundane work of being the people of Christ. That's all I got to say this morning. Amen. Will you hold on to that in this season of Advent? Your daily life is not meaningless. You were put in some place for a purpose to be, to be a witness to Jesus and the new life that is possible in him. And waiting nurtures you for that purpose.